As we talk about loneliness today, it's very encouraging to gather together and remember that we're not alone. God is with us. It's also encouraging to gather together and realize that we are one church in more than one location. I want to welcome all of our campuses today, Town East, Forney, Firewheel, Richland, also those who connect with us on the internet, online. Welcome our internet family, uh, Lake Point Espanol, our classic service that meets here on this campus. Of course, our Central Texas real life campuses, Austin, Hayes, and Corpus Christi, Rockwall. Would you join me in welcoming our church family today? We're thrilled you guys are with us. You know, when you think about technology and how much effort and inventions have been uh, out there that help us connect and feel like we have friendships and relationships, uh, you would wonder, why do we need to talk about loneliness today? You think about everything that's been invented to help us feel connected. It started with the telegraph back in the 1790s, then 100 years later, the telephone in the 1890s. That was a life-changing invention. And then just recently, and just think about in the last 10 years, how much technology just through social media platforms have helped us feel like we're connected and our relationships are growing. And let me just take a survey and all the campuses, please participate. How many of you guys are, have a Twitter account? You're on Twitter, Twitter accounts out there. Yeah, uh, how many of you guys are on Instagram, Instagram users? Lots of Instagram users, okay. How about LinkedIn, LinkedIn? All the professionals out there are linked together. All right, how about this one, how about Snapchat? Who's on Snapchat? Yeah, everybody under 30 <laughs> just raised their hand. Uh, everybody over 30 thinks this is a Halloween app to buy a ghost costume, but it's not. Uh, let's go with one we all know about. Who's on Facebook, who's on Facebook? We are connected. And that's just the top, fly, the top five. I mean, there's, there's so many other ones, but just the top five social media platforms, over two billion people are on one or more of those five every day. And I haven't even gotten into Yelp or Pinterest or Periscope. That's just the top five. Two billion people are connected. Why do we need to talk about loneliness? Look how connected we are. I mean, why would we need to talk about loneliness when according to the Pew Research Institute, the average American has 130 friends on Facebook. Wow, that's a lot of friends. Look how many friends you have. Now, some of you are way above average. You got lots of friends out there. Some of you are feeling stressed right now. I need more friends. <laughs> I don't have 130 friends. Now, now, understand, this is not an anti-technology message. Technology can be used to be leveraged for God and for good. I hope you leverage your social media to invite all 130 friends on Facebook to Easter next weekend. But it's to help us realize that technology and the explosion of connective technology is not helping us with loneliness. You take this stat I just gave you, 130 friends on Facebook, the average American has. Now take that with a stat from USA Today that says that 25% of us say that we have no close friends. Does that seem interesting to you that we have 130 friends on Facebook but no close friends? That means one out of every four people listening to me right now, you have no one that you can go to when you're struggling. You have no one that you can go to when you're going through trouble. You have no one that you feel like you can trust and confide in when things go wrong in your life. You see, loneliness is something that all of us struggle with. And listen, we as pastors, we're not any better. 70% of pastors in a recent survey said that they have no true friend. Isn't that crazy? Loneliness is not some isolated issue. It's not what a few of us are dealing with. All of us have felt it, 
and some of us are dealing with it right now. Loneliness is a struggle for many. Here's the big stat. According to the Wall Street Journal, 40% of Americans said they feel lonely most of the time. Now that's almost half of us are saying that loneliness is something we struggle with a lot. Now this article goes on to say why that struggle is. It says that sometimes it's not our fault. Other things happen and it causes us to feel lonely. For instance, I can't think of anything more lonely than a UT basketball fan right now. (laughs) Just what happened? It's like a half court shot, you gotta be kidding me. Everybody's bracket's already messed up, but anyway. Back to loneliness. Okay, so loneliness. This article says that a lot of times it's transitions. We go through a transition where a moving culture and every move causes uh, a loneliness in our lives. And it's, it's really no respecter of ages. The most lonely in our society, that this article says, are over 70, but also college freshmen. And everywhere in between, there's this struggle with loneliness, and the struggle is real. We need to talk about it today. So I'm gonna ask you to turn your Bibles to the book of Luke, Luke chapter 19. And if you don't have a Bible in your worship guide, there's our key passage for the day that you were handed when you came in, and also a place to take notes. I hope you'll do that if you'd like to. But I love this story because it's familiar to all of us, but it's very appropriate that we study it the week before Easter. Because most of us are gonna recognize the story, but we may not remember that this story actually happened one week before the very first Easter. You see, the scripture's gonna tell us in Luke 19 that Jesus is passing through Jericho, It doesn't tell us where he's going though, but as you read on through chapter 19 and chapter 20 and on, it tells you that Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. You see, this event that we're about to read about happened one week before the very first Easter and Jesus knew he was on his way to Jerusalem to die on the cross for all of our sins and the sins of mankind. And in this journey and in this walk, he knew that four days after walking through Jericho, he would experience loneliness, he has this encounter that most of us know the story. Here it is, just a few days before the cross, verse one. Jesus entered Jericho and he made his way through the town. Again, he's going to Jerusalem to die on the cross. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region and had become very rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd, so he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass that way. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name, Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down, took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. And let's just stop here because most of us know this story. Uh, Many of us have heard this story. Some of us, even when we were kids, learned a song about Zacchaeus. He was a wee little man. A wee little man was he. But I wanna help us see a very familiar story with hopefully new, fresh eyes. Look at this story through the grid of loneliness. You see, I believe that Zacchaeus' biggest challenge was not his height challenge, his being short. I believe his biggest struggle was not being short, it was being lonely. You see, if you really look at the story, Zacchaeus shows us some things right off the bat about loneliness. The first thing he shows us is that you can be popular and still be lonely. 
Zacchaeus reminds us that everybody can know who you are, but you can still feel very, very alone. Did you catch verse two? His title, he's the chief tax collector. He's one of the big guys in town, not just for Jericho, but this entire region. Everybody knew who Zacchaeus was, but nobody knew Zacchaeus. You see, he had a lot of people who knew and recognized his face and his name and his title, but not a lot of people who really knew him. I think a lot of times we think, if I could just be popular, then all my problems would be solved. I've had lots of friends. If I could just be a supermodel or a movie star or have a famous blog, if I could have 130 friends on Facebook, if I could have 1,000 followers on my social media platform, then I would reach a certain place where I wouldn't be lonely anymore. If only I could win the voice, then I'd be set. But I would actually argue that the more popular you become, the more potential you have to struggle with loneliness. I talked to a professional golfer recently, and uh, he's not a household name yet, but he makes a living playing golf. He has sponsors, and he told me, he said, I never tell anybody that I'm a professional golfer. As soon as I do, that's my identity. He said, as soon as I tell him I'm a professional golfer, all they want to say is, hey, we should go you know, hit a few. We, you, can you help me with, with my swing? Can you get me some tickets to that tournament coming up? Can you get Jordan Spieth's autograph for me? So as soon as people find out what he does for a living, it becomes his identity. What's he saying? He can already feel it. The more popular he's becoming, the more isolated he actually is feeling. Zacchaeus shows us that popularity doesn't solve loneliness. Zacchaeus also shows us very clearly that you can be wealthy and still be lonely. Did you catch it in verse two? He's the chief tax collector. He has a lot of money. I think a lot of times we think, you know, if I could only be a millionaire, then I would have lots of friends and I wouldn't be lonely anymore. If I could only win the lottery, then I'd be set. If I could only be the successful business leader of a company that's thriving, then I wouldn't be lonely. All my problems would be solved. But many times you look at people even who win the lottery and, and what we find out is, is they don't know who they can trust with money and so they actually, many of them become actual hermits and they withdraw because they don't know who to turn to. Same thing's happening here with Zacchaeus. Verse two says he's a chief tax collector. That means he's the local president of the IRS. Sorry to bring up taxes this close to April, but everybody knows who Zacchaeus is. Everybody needs a favor on their taxes. But he has money because this is how it worked. The Roman government told him, this is the percentage we want from all the people in that Jericho region. Now, whatever percentage you give us, you, as the chief tax collector, can set any percentage above that and you can keep it yourself. Zacchaeus was loaded, but he was lonely because popularity doesn't solve a struggle with loneliness. Neither does wealth, but also he shows us that you can be in a crowd and still be lonely. This is the most surprising to me. It seems impossible that you can have a lot of people around you and still struggle with loneliness. Zacchaeus has a big crowd. Verse three tells us there's a ton of people out to see Jesus. He's around a huge crowd of people, but he's still alone. Not one friend is mentioned in that huge crowd. I think sometimes we think if I can just get around a lot of people, if I can just go to this club, if I can just be at this concert, if I can just go to this big event, then I won't be lonely anymore, but many of us know the truth is, is you can be in a room full of people and feel very alone, and Zacchaeus teaches us as well. Many people in life teach us this. Howard Hughes, uh, his life was portrayed in the movie The Aviator. 
He was definitely loaded. His dad invented a drill bit that was used on 75% of all the oil wells in the world. Can you say loaded? He was the first billionaire in North America. Oh, he would be set then. All that money, all that popularity, everybody knew who he was. And all the crowds, people followed him everywhere. Women, cameras, parties. He was never by himself. As a matter of fact, later in his life, he actually rented a penthouse in Las Vegas and lived there. Thousands of people churning through this city every day. And the movie portrays, the, portrays this because he really felt like he couldn't trust anybody with money, so he lived alone and he died alone. Because his life and Zacchaeus' show us that no amount of wealth no amount of popularity and no amount of crowds of people can solve this struggle of loneliness. And 40% of us are dealing with it on a daily basis. It's prevalent. And here's the scariest thing to me. That article in the Wall Street Journal, it said that, that loneliness has doubled in the last 20 years. It used to be just 20%. Now it's doubling. And the article said it's growing exponentially because we feel more isolated and we're cocooning ourselves as we isolate ourselves from real connections and people, and it's growing. U.S. Census Bureau says that 25% of U.S. households are made up of one person. You see, loneliness, this struggle is real. How do we overcome it? Can we overcome loneliness? And the great answer is yes, that's the good news. We can overcome loneliness. You see, you overcome loneliness and isolation with true connection and community. You see, if you say, well, I'm really struggling with loneliness, well, even if you're not right now, you wanna remember these few points. First of all, as Ikea shows, if you wanna overcome loneliness, connect with Jesus. The first thing I would recommend for you to do is ask yourself, am I close to, do I know, and am I connected to Jesus? You see, Zacchaeus has to make a huge choice. It's a choice I hope all of us have made or will make. He says, I'm gonna get close to Jesus. I, I'm gonna make sure that I get in an intersection where I can connect with who he is. I love how the NIV translates Luke chapter 19, verse three. It says, he wanted to see who Jesus was. If you're lonely today, take a step closer to Jesus. Now, you're already doing great because you've gathered with God's people. What that means is you go to church that creates an intersection for Jesus to speak to you and connect to you. You're reading the Bible with us today. Don't just read it today, read it every day. Points of connection with Jesus. But as you consider where you are with him and am I connected with him, I would just ask you to think about this. Are you connected to him? And you may say to me, why would I? Why should I connect to Jesus? Well, that's a great question. I'll give you a couple of big reasons. And the first one may surprise you. You need to connect to Jesus because he knows how you feel when you're lonely. Did you know that Jesus went through more loneliness than anyone ever has on this planet? And I think it's very appropriate as we walk up to Easter next weekend that today we consider the loneliness of our Savior and what he went through for us. Because just think about it. After he meets Zacchaeus, has this great connection with Zacchaeus, then he goes to Jerusalem and people wave palm branches and welcome him and say, you're the king of Israel, you are the Messiah. And they wave palm branches on that very first Palm Sunday. And it all went downhill from there. Because four days after entering into the sheep gate of Jerusalem with great celebration, all of a sudden he finds himself in the Garden of Gethsemane with a few close friends. And as the soldiers come and Judas comes to betray him, Here's how Mark describes it in Mark chapter 14, verse 50. It says, as the soldiers came to the garden, all his disciples, 
deserted him, and ran away. Jesus knows what it's like when all of your friends turn their back on you. He knows what it's like when people who say, hey, I'll always be there for you, aren't. He understands and can sympathize with loneliness. After this, the path of loneliness is only beginning because he's taken from the Garden of Gethsemane to Caiaphas' house, the high priest. Illegal trials begin in the middle of the night. And we've already covered this in this series, but his best friend, his closest friend, Peter, denies him and runs away from Caiaphas' house, leaving Jesus there at this trial alone. And then they ask Jesus, point blank, are you the son of God? And he says, yes. They don't bow down and worship him. They say he's committing blasphemy. He's saying he's God, and this is their response to his clear, his clear commitment to he is the Messiah. Mark 14, verse 65. Some of them began to spit at him. They blindfolded him and they beat him with their fist. Prophesy to us then, they jeered. And the guards slapped him and they took him away. Where did they take him away? We know they took him to Pilate the next day, but this is still the middle of the night. Where did they take him? Well, Caiaphas, as the high priest, had a dungeon underneath his palace. And you can go there today. It's the actual dungeon that they lowered Jesus into what is more like a cistern that's empty. And he stayed there alone. And they've actually built steps to this where you can actually go into and underneath the cistern and walk into this space that Jesus spent the last night on this earth before being crucified. It's very moving. Took my iPhone out and just here's what it looks like. And it's, it's overwhelming to think that Jesus spent his last night on this earth here in solitary confinement. And there's nothing, there's no light it's just a hole in the ground. The hole is still there. It's dark. It's cold. It's isolated. It's lonely. And there's only this hole, this one hole he was lowered by ropes into. And you can look up and see it just as he did. The only light that would have been in the room is just in utter darkness and solitary confinement. But now they have a small lamp and it has a Bible open in this cistern where Jesus spent his last night. And it's open to Psalm chapter 88, which is known as the prayer for help, but most scholars also believe it's a prophecy about this moment in Jesus' life, the night before he died on the cross, and it was very powerful to stand in this dungeon and someone began to read Psalm 88. See if you can feel the loneliness as I read some of these verses. I'm overwhelmed with troubles. My life draws near to death. I'm counted among those who go down to the pit. I'm like one without strength. You've put me in the lowest pit in the darkest depths. You've taken from me my closest friends and have made me repulsive to them. I'm confined and cannot escape. My eyes are dim with grief. Why, Lord, do you reject me and hide your face from me? You see, Jesus knows what it's like to be lonely and many of us can resonate with some of those phrases. We've felt those things. So has he, but this wasn't the end of his walk of loneliness because he was taken back out of that pit with ropes and those guards who beat him the night before took him to Pilate and the Roman guards flogged him and beat him some more. Then he stood before the same crowd that waved palm branches just a few days earlier and said, hey, you're the Messiah, you're the King of Israel. And Pilate stood Jesus up before them in Matthew 27. Pilate responded, what should I do with Jesus who's called Messiah? They shouted back, crucify him. Why, Pilate demanded, what crime has he committed? But the mob roared even louder, crucify him. You see, Jesus knows what it's like when the whole world turns against you. And everyone, you feel like no one is there. 
And everyone who said they would be there has not just abandoned you, now they're rejecting you. And they're not just not your friend, they're now your enemy. But this wasn't the end of his loneliness. Because then he took a path of loneliness that no one has ever experienced before or ever since. Because being fully man, he experienced and felt what we feel, but being fully God, he always had connection with the Father. But at that moment, on that cross, pierced with his hands and feet, suspended between heaven and earth, all of our sin, all of our regret, every failure you've ever done was placed on him. And at that moment, God the Son had all of our sin and all of our rebellion on him. And God the Father, in ultimate holiness, turned his back on God the Son. And God the Son, with ultimate loneliness, cried out on the cross at that moment. And here's how it's described in the Gospels. Matthew 27, verse 46, at about three o'clock as he's hanging on that cross, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? If you've ever felt like God has turned his back on you and God's abandoned you, he hasn't. If you've ever felt that way, Jesus literally knows what it's like. Why would you connect with Jesus? Because he knows what it's like to be lonely. He's, he was poor. He was misunderstood. He was rejected. He was lied to. He was lied about. He was beaten. He was tortured. He was despised and he was killed. And whatever you're going through, and every, no matter how lonely you felt, he knows what that's like turned to him. So you want to connect to Jesus because he knows what it's like to be lonely. And here's the beautiful thing. When you receive Jesus into your life, you're never alone again. When you ask Jesus to be your forgiver and your friend, you, you never are alone again. And you may be a Christian today and you say, no, I really feel like God's not here right now. I really feel like Jesus isn't with me. Or you look back and say, I don't know if he was here at this moment or this moment. I didn't feel him. He was there. You say, well, how do you know he was there? Because he promised to be there. The last thing Jesus said before he ascended into heaven after his resurrection. The literal last statement recorded, as he's lifting off to heaven, are these words in Matthew 28, verse 20. He promises, and be sure of this. All of our campuses, would you guys read this with me? What does it say? Five words. I am with you always. Jesus is the antidote to loneliness. And when you know him, you're never alone. You have him, but don't stop there. Zacchaeus met Jesus, and then he realized, here's the second thing. I need to care for and care with others. I need to connect to them. I need to connect to others who care for me, and I need to connect to others that I can care for. You see, I wanna encourage you to make the same step. If you know Christ, now connect to his body. It's known as the church, his community. It's the body of Christ. And the way to do that here at our church is, is connect to a life group. We call them life groups here, and this may seem like a large body of people, but it's really a lot of small churches called life groups that gather together on the weekend to celebrate all that God's doing and life change in our lives. And I wanna encourage you, no better time than Easter to connect to a life group. Just say this, just make a commitment and say, after Easter, you're gonna try a life group for eight weeks. And maybe you've tried before and you said, well, those people were really weird, they were kinda crazy. I don't, try another life group, all right? Don't come to Austin, everyone's weird in Austin, okay? So, but, but connect to people and say, you know what, we need each other. And I'm gonna try this for eight weeks, just before the summer hits, what would happen if I cared for others and they cared for me, and I just got in there and let them know me and I got to know them? You would find loneliness going away. 
because we all need people. Nothing good happens when we're alone. God looked on the earth and saw man by himself and says, it is not good for that guy to be alone. Everything that you know, happens in our lives with trouble usually is when we're isolated from others. For instance, uh, some parents here on the Rockwall campus found this out really bad way because they left their, their son in the bathroom by himself while they were getting ready for the day and they came back and this is literally what they found. They put it on Facebook, so here it is. And they said, what did you do? He said, hey, look, I gave myself a haircut. So what did you do that for? He said, well, we have soccer pictures today and I didn't wanna have long hair. Now, as you look at that, uh, you know, uh, there's several things. That boy needed a life group. <laughs> hey, I think I'm about cutting my own hair. No, don't do that. I did that one time, but don't cut your own hair, okay? Those parents need a life group. We're horrible parents. We left our child alone. Look at what happened. They need a life group so every parent can go, happened to our kid too. Here's our picture. Going to use it at their wedding. It'll be funny. They need to know that you're not the only one going through the struggle. We all need people, so get out of your box. Stop focusing inward. Stop having a pity party and say, don't say, I don't have any friends. Say, I'm gonna be one. That's what Zacchaeus did. Look at our text today, Luke chapter 19, verse eight. He meets Jesus and connects with Jesus, and then verse eight says, he stood up before the Lord, and he said, I will give half of my wealth to the poor, Lord, and if I've cheated people on their taxes, I'll give them back four times as much. Wow, what's Zacchaeus saying here? So I'm gonna give to people that have a need and I'm gonna make things right with anybody that I've wronged, anybody that I've treated unfairly. Do you think after Zacchaeus stands up and says, I'm gonna give half of all my money away, anybody I've cheated, I'm gonna repay that back for it. Do you think he had friends after that? I'm telling you, he had more friends than he could count. Because all of a sudden he realized when you're generous with what God gives you, not just your money, but time, talent, who you are, God's generous back to you. This is the way it's described by Paul in 2 Corinthians 8, verse 14. He says, at this time, you have plenty, and what you have can help others who are in need. Then later, when they have plenty, they can help you when you're in need. He says a description of healthy community. You help people, and in turn, those people are gonna help you. You see, if you're here today and you say, you know what, I've already got friends, I've got family in town, I don't really need, no, no there are other people that need you. You, you, they need you as a part of God's family to connect to a life group so that you can care for them and then in turn, you're gonna find out eventually that they're gonna care for you too. And you're gonna help them, but eventually they're gonna help you. And Zacchaeus, he had more friends he could count because he stood up and says, I'm gonna be generous and I'm gonna reach out. I'm gonna stop isolating myself and I'm just gonna reach out and bless other people. It's what I was designed to do. You see, recently my uh, daughter comes to me and she has a cracked screen on her cell phone. I know this has never happened to anybody else, but anyway. I think everybody in my family has a cracked screen on their phone right now, except for me, and that's because I just replaced it. But anyway, <laughs> she comes to me and the screen's cracked and she says, my phone is broken. And it did have some other issues. And this is the literal conversation. I will quote it so I will not misquote her. Hey, Dad, my phone is broken. What's wrong with your phone? All it will do is make calls. Isn't that what it's designed to do? Got all this other stuff on phones now. It's, it's called a phone. It makes calls. You see, if you come to God and say, God, I'm broken. I really feel lonely. He's gonna remind you, you were designed originally. There's all this other stuff going on. And not all of it's bad. You were designed to connect with me. Connect with me. And when you do, you're gonna find loneliness going away. And you were designed to connect to others. Be in community. 
A few weeks ago, I started a message holding a baseball bat. Got everybody's attention. And after the last service, I came back in. I was like, I want to get my bat. You know, it's a Louisville Slugger. I didn't want to leave it behind. And I walked into this room here in Rockwall, and everybody was gone. It was empty. And I walked in. I was about to grab my bat, and one guy comes out of nowhere. He says, hey, can you help me? I was here at the service today. He said, I've been coming for a few weeks, and I heard you say, God has a plan for your life. And I know God does. Something inside of me says, God has a plan. I just don't know what it is. You know what I told him? I was already preparing for this message, but it's been something I've told people all along. You were designed originally to connect to God. There's a God-shaped vacuum inside of you, and you can dump all kinds of things in there, but until you fill your life with him, you're never gonna have satisfaction, fulfillment, or end the struggle of loneliness. And he began to tell me, he said, well, I've been religious in my life. You know, I was baptized as a Catholic. When I went to college, I hung out with some Church of Christ guys playing putt-putt. I thought, well, that sounds cool. So I went in the military, I was about to go to Iraq, and the chaplain looks at me and says, you're probably gonna die. You wanna get baptized? And I said, yes. But as we track through that story, what we realize is, wait a minute, there's not a relationship here. There's a lot of knowledge, but there's not a knowing. And what if it's not, a, the answer is not religion, what if it's a relationship with Jesus, and right here in this room, with just me and that guy, he knelt down, and he prayed and said, Jesus, would you forgive me and would you come into my life and be my savior and be my friend? It's powerful. He found a connection, and he's actually here today, but I told him, I said, hey, this is not the, now find a connection. Now you need, the connection center's already closed for the day, but when you come back, connect. Say, this is my family. There's no perfect church, but dive all in and find a life group because that's what God designed you to do. And then I told him this, this third thing I said, and from now on, I want you to start building bridges and stop building walls. You see, Zacchaeus shows us that he was alone because he built up so many walls. Why don't I have any friends? Because you're not being a friend, Zacchaeus. Why don't I have any people to connect to? Because you're not being generous with your life. And once you connect with Jesus, you start connecting to others. Then you say, you know what? Ask yourself this question. What walls am I building that are keeping me from connecting with people? Because sometimes we build walls with the people we love the most, and what are you doing right now that's building walls with the people that care the most about you? Maybe you're gonna decide, you know what, I'm gonna be more kind. I'm gonna be more patient. I'm gonna be less selfish with my time and who I am. I, I know I need to build bridges. You see, Zacchaeus had built walls and Jesus stops and builds a bridge. But then, four or five days later, he builds a bridge to all of us called the cross. There's no better time than Easter to decide, you know what, I'm gonna connect to Jesus. It's a great season to do that. I need a relationship with him, not just knowledge, facts in my head, but faith in my heart. No better time than Easter season to say, I need a life group. We've been coming here for months, for years. Maybe it was our first time. We're gonna dive in. We're gonna try a connection with other people, find true friendship in a community called Lake Point. No better time than saying, I'm gonna stop building walls. I'm gonna start building bridges. No better place to start than finding someone across the street from you, down the street from you, across the office, down the hall at your school that needs to come next weekend for Easter. Let, let them find you, inviting them to come. You see, I'm gonna ask you, just like Zacchaeus did that very first Palm Sunday, on this Palm Sunday, to go out on a limb. You see what I did there? <laughs> to go out on a limb and say, you know what? I've tried everything else, I need to connect with Jesus. If you've already done that, to go out on a limb and say, 
I'm gonna connect to a family at this church. I'm gonna get into a life group. To go out on a limb and say, I'm gonna invite somebody and I'm not gonna come alone next Easter. I'm gonna bring someone who needs this. Because there's no better time, I can't wait to see what's gonna happen next weekend as we gather together here after walking an entire week after this message going, you know what, 40% of everybody I meet is struggling with loneliness and I'm gonna invite them. I'm gonna look for the Zacchaeuses in my life and I'm gonna bring them with me. And together next weekend we will celebrate the loneliest death that ever occurred for our sins and we will celebrate that Jesus rose again from the grave so that we can know we will never be alone again. It's gonna be wonderful and I'm looking forward to what God's gonna do. Let's pray about that together. Heavenly Father, in this quiet moment, I know that there's people listening to me right now that feel lonely today. And I pray for them right now that they would open up their heart to you to realize that just as you intersected Jesus on this road to Jericho, there's no accident that they are here today. And just like my friend and I prayed in this empty room, may they pray right now where they are and know that you know their name, you know their need. May they draw near to you and find that when, you, when they draw near to you, you will draw near to them. And I ask right now, if anyone doesn't know you, that they would receive you as their forgiver and their friend. They would open up their life to you. I ask God, for those of us who know you, that we would take steps to connect to this church, to to a life group. And most of all, God, this week, help us to do what you did in this story. Help us to seek and to save the lonely, the lost. And help us to find them and help us to invite them. And may we leverage everything that we are, every social media platform we have, all of our time, our relationships, our neighbors, our coworkers, our classmates, And may we find someone else coming into this place next weekend and finding what we have found, that there's an amazing God who loves us, who sent his only son to die, who has risen from the grave and given us hope and a promise that I am with you always. I ask this in the name of Jesus, our Savior, our Lord, and our friend. And all God's people said, amen. Let's give God a hand for his grace and his truth.